We'd started our discussion of gender. In major points that came out were the distinction between sex, which is biological and biologically determined, and gender. Gender is a social construct that is culture-specific that refers to the set of cultural expectations surrounding being male or being female, particularly in terms of the behaviors that are appropriate for a boy, for a man, for a girl, for a woman. And cultures vary both in terms of the roles that they define as normative or the sexes or the gender roles that are seen as normative and in the rigidity with which those role expectations are enforced in some societies. They're not very rigid and women and girls may do a number of things such as play sports, um, seek higher education, seek professional careers that men do. Um, in others, women may have the legal right to do these things, but culturally there's disapproval, there's not widespread acceptance. And in yet other cultures, women may be legally prescribed from a number of roles. So sex is biological. It's determined by the chromosomes that we inherit from our parents. If we are XX, we are genetically female. If we are XY, we are genetically male. And external sexual appearance, uh, that is uh, the appearance of the genitals, is determined by the presence of testosterone at critical points in early pregnancy. Absent testosterone or absent the appropriate response to testosterone and a male fetus will develop female appearing genitals. Uh, given the presence of testosterone or testosterone-like chemicals, a female fetus will be masculinized. Both the brain will be masculinized um, and the external genitals will be masculinized with the degree of change dependent on both the timing and the dosage of exposure to testosterone or testosterone mimic. Gender awareness begins to develop at an implicit level in infancy. Infants become aware very quickly that adults are divided into two types. Um, we have words uh, to describe that. Um, very young infants do not, but they come to understand quickly that there's this category of uh, adults that we would call women and a category that we would call men. Children's awareness of the behavioral differences rather than 
simply the differences in typical register or pitch of voice, uh, differences in average size, differences in um, nurturing behavior. Um, children become aware of most typically in the second year of life, so between ages two and three. And sometime between two and three, the child learns the label, the gender label, that applies to them. I'm a boy, I'm a girl. Again, uh, there are developmental differences. Some children who acquire language earlier will have encoded I'm a boy or I'm a girl before other children do. Um, the fact that a child has learned the label, the gender label, that applies to them doesn't, however, mean that they understand that their gender identity is stable and permanent, or for that matter, that gender identity is stable and permanent for others. Uh, so the first thing that develops is gender identity, then gender stability for themselves. They come to understand that they are a boy, they'll stay a boy, they are a girl, they'll stay a girl. And then gender constancy, that other people, in fact, will stay male or female. Um, of course, this in the modern era, uh, has minor complications for children who are exposed either in their family or through the media um, to transgendered individuals who may change their gender, may change their gender identity, may change their gender appearance, um, may go as far as to change their genital anatomy. In addition to anatomical differences that are evident if we take off baby's diapers, um, there are some sex differences. Uh, sex differences in the way the brain functions, um, some sex differences that don't matter a very great deal in terms of academic performance, but that are um, stable. That is, we find them across a number of populations. Um, these include differences in some types of spatial abilities, uh, but the differences are small. The, the average male is better than the average female. But because the differences are small, that means many females are much better than many males. But there are some differences in how structures in the brain associated with emotion, associated with fear, associated with excitement, associated with sexual arousal function. Um, in particular, um, by putting research subjects uh, in fMRI machines, functional magnetic resonance imaging machines that measure blood flow to different brain structures. Um, researchers have discovered that the amygdala is activated differently in different circumstances for women 
and for men. Um, if we have someone um, in an fMRI and we're imaging where the blood is flowing in their brain while uh, and shortly after we show them um, scary movie clips or fear stimuli, um, then what we see is left amygdala activation in women and right amygdala activation in men. Okay, quick anatomical reminder. Uh, the amygdala, and there are two, um, are almond-shaped structures adjacent to the hippocampus. So they are midline temporal cortex structures um, deep in the middle of the brain. These are not structures that you can see on the surface of the cortex when you look at a picture of the outside of the brain. So when women are frightened by a scary movie, the left amygdala has a lot of blood flow. When men are frightened, the right amygdala has a lot of blood flow. At rest, that is when people are um, not watching any particular stimulus, uh, the female left amygdala blood flow varies with general brain circulation. So if circulation, oxygen use, picks up in the brain. It picks up proportionally in the left amygdala in females. Um, and the right amygdala has relatively low activity. We see the opposite pattern in men. At, at rest, the right amygdala follows the oxygen use, the blood flow of the rest of the brain and the left amygdala shows low activity. Uh, a number of factors undoubtedly contribute to um, these differences in activation. Um, and we can postulate that that includes genetics and the varying socialization experiences of men and women, but we really don't understand it completely. Um, Haman and colleagues in 2004 uh, explored sex differences in amygdala activation in what I will call the dirty pictures study. Uh, they put 28 students, 14 male, 14 female, who had been um, verified it, uh, by their own attestation as being heterosexual. And the, the students, while they were in the fMRI, um, viewed attractive couples copulating, um, viewed videos of um, attractive nudes of their own sex, of the opposite sex, um, posing, um, or viewed what was said to be a sexually neutral video of a person giving a clothed person um, a massage, a non-sensual massage. Um, while they were viewing these uh, pictures that would, to 
types of which would commonly be considered pornographic, and the third was neutral. Um, they rated the attractiveness of the people they were seeing. They rated their own degree of sexual arousal, and pictures of what's going on in their brain are being taken. Um, what the researchers found was that the amygdala and hypothalamus were more activated in men, even for the stimuli for which women reported higher arousal. Um, the women reported much higher right amygdala activation, or rather for the women, because you don't have any awareness of what's going on, direct awareness of what's going on in your amygdala. Um, from women, much higher right amygdala activation was recorded. So again, um, we, we don't have a clear interpretation of what these results mean, but, but our brains are responding, our male and female brains, the emotional parts of our brains, the amygdala is part of the limbic system, um, respond differently at rest, respond differently when we're afraid, and respond differently when we're sexually aroused. Of course, the fact that men and women are different um, is presumably not surprising to any of you. But this is one of the ways in which um, we had not known until fairly recent times that men and women were different. Um, we've gone through phases, we meaning the community of psychologists, have gone through phases in understanding sex and gender differences. There was a period of time when it was assumed all of the differences were biological differences with the rise of behaviorism, with the rise of feminism, uh, a much more popular opinion became that sex and gender differences reflected entirely the result of people's socialization. That is, the interactions that they had with people in their family, with uh, people in the school, with peers, that enforced gender roles, that modeled stereotypic gender roles, um, rewarded stereotypic gender-typed behavior, um, and didn't reward uh, counter-stereotypical gender behavior. Um, we know that parents treat little boys, little girls, um, infant boys, infant girls, differently from the earliest days of life. Much more language is addressed to little girls. There's more eye contact with infant girls. Um, infant girls are held more closely to the body, um, even by strangers. Um, infant boys are um, moved around. They may be zoomed like airplanes um, overhead. Uh, they may, are much more likely to be tossed up in the air and caught. Uh, so the, the, the physical interactions that adults have with male and female infants are very different from very early in life. Um, as we discussed, 
we're much more likely to dress little girls in pink and lavender than in blue. Um, we're much more likely to have animals and trains and cranes and things on little boys' clothes and flowers and kittens um, on little girls' clothes. Um, Bandura argued that much of our gender socialization comes from observing same-sex models. Um, the child identifies themselves as male or female, they see what males or females do, um, and they then imitate those gender-type behaviors. Uh, another approach suggests that a great deal of gender typing comes about um, because children have gender-typical patterns of play. And because the gender-typical patterns of play uh, attract children to those who exhibit similar play to themselves, very early in life, we have voluntary sex segregation to a, a very high degree, so that little girls, um, even toddler girls, are more likely to select little girls as favored play companions, and little boys are much more likely to select other little boys as favored play companions. And you can observe this in many nursery school and kindergarten classrooms when children have unstructured time. Typically, the girls are playing together and the boys are playing together, and there are some exceptions. Um, but the phenomenon of gender segregation is one that we can readily observe. Um, and that gender segregation um, serves as a socializing factor as well. Kohlberg suggested that gender typing for an individual, that assuming a gender role, comes after the child reaches an understanding of gender consistency or gender constancy, um, knowing that the gender of people in general is stable. Um, and that as the child identifies himself or herself with their own gender role, I'm a boy, I'm a girl, I'm going to be a man, I'm going to be a woman, um, understands that gender is constant, um, they then are motivated to imitate gender-typed behavior. Um, but um, the approach that focuses more on children's self-socialization um, looks at the role of gender voluntary gender segregation, the child's development of concepts of what it means to be male, to be female, and those schemas then serve as lenses, serve as filters for observing the rest of the world, for observing adults and interpreting adult behavior. And the filtering function is such that children focus on gender-typical behavior 
and may ignore gender atypical behavior. Um, and again, experience provides um, some validation for this. Um, even young children whose mothers, they may be doctors, uh, may go through a phase where they insist that only men can be doctors. Um, I had a student who's, who told me that her mother told her that when she was little, um, she told her mother, you, you aren't a doctor, you can't be a doctor, only men, only daddies are doctors. So gender concepts direct what the child pays attention to and they pay attention to things that are consistent with their gender schema and ignore things that are inconsistent with their gender, gender schema. And the gender schema then directs the child's own behavior. How do we then explain that many children um, grow up with relatively flexible conceptions of gender roles? Um, we have to view that developmentally. Relatively few children um, escape gender stereotyping uh, in the preschool years. Uh, as children acquire more language, as they acquire more understanding of the things that adults do, particularly the things that their own parents do, their thinking becomes much more flexible. A phenomenon that the book highlights known as gender intensification um, begins for those children for whom it occurs in early adolescence. The social pressure, the internal pressure to conform to gender typical roles for some children um, intensifies in early adolescence as children begin to experience sexual attraction, um, there is a concern on their part that they not appear to be homosexual. And so they may intensify um, the signs, the signals of um, heterosexuality in the way they dress, in the way they act. So little girls um, in early adolescence may suddenly become very interested in makeup, may suddenly become very interested in um, tighter or more revealing clothes when earlier they had mostly been interested in being comfortable and being able to play. Uh, parents who have a strong conformist trend who want their children to behave in socially approved, conventional ways also contribute to gender intensification in their children. Uh, the daughters and sons of college-educated mothers are less likely to exhibit gender intensification then are the daughters and sons of less educated women. Um, and, and this reflects many things. Um, 
particularly in an earlier generation, um, college education was not considered a public good, um, and more men than women went on to pursue college education. So a college-educated woman uh, was more unusual than in um, today's generation, than among your generation. So parental values, uh, valuing conformity over valuing independence and autonomy, valuing conventional roles over valuing a woman's ability to choose the role she'll play, moderate the effects uh, and uh, mean that gender intensification is more or less likely to occur for um, an individual child. Uh, peers, of course, also in adolescence play a strong role in socializing gender-typical behavior. Um, in many schools, peers are not very tolerant of um, gender atypical behavior. Um, this actually poses something of a trap, I think, for ambitious, smart young women. Um, I either have or will post an article that was published a few years ago from the New York Times. Uh, it focuses on Newton High School, on Newton North. Newton is an affluent suburb of Boston with two high schools, Newton North and Newton South, that are among the finest high schools in the country. Um, if you're not familiar with Boston, uh, Boston is unusual in that there are 34 colleges and universities in the immediate Boston area. Um, in addition, there are a number of high-tech firms, both in scientific instrumentation, in medicine, in um, pharmacology, in information technology. And um, Newton is one of the suburbs where a number of faculty members, where a number of technical professionals live. Um, relatively high proportion of um, highly educated immigrant families. Um, a generation ago, um, Newton had a relatively high proportion of Jewish families. Um, my husband went to Newton South, um, and um, his graduating class was about 70% Jewish, about 10% Asian, um, and 20% um, other. Um, so Newton has um, remained an area with a high concentration of families that very, very, very much value education and high academic achievement. Um, so this article is about what the writer calls amazing girls. Um, these are girls who are high achieving, who are applying to some of the most prestigious colleges in the country, who nonetheless feel the pressure to be hot, 
It's not enough to be really smart. You have to be hot. You have to be sexy. You have to be effortlessly thin and gorgeous to feel really good about yourself. That's sick. Um, so as roles have opened up for women, um, some aspects of gender typing um, haven't really fallen off the map. Um, it's become simply an expanding set of high expectations for women. Um, in this country, most students begin dating in high school. Some begin dating in a middle or junior high school. Uh, and early dating is associated with a high degree of conformity to traditional roles with a fairly high degree of gender intensification. Um, the evidence for the effects of gender intensification um, on long-term um, occupational choice, long-term gender role adjustment um, is, is really pretty mixed. Uh, but, but the phenomenon um, has been studied uh, and some researchers see it as normative, others see it uh, as um, something that doesn't really help adult adjustment. Um, gender stereotypes include things like boys like math and are good at it, girls like English and are good at it. When teachers hold these stereotypes, they communicate them in direct and indirect ways. Uh, the stereotypes like many stereotypes, have some minor basis in reality. Boys are somewhat better um, on some spatial tasks. Boys are somewhat better um, at higher math. So the male difference in math is um, primarily at the very high end where you have extremely high math achievement, it's much more likely to be a male than a female. These stereotypes have a negative effect in a number of ways. Uh, the most important of which is probably that they prevent young people from discovering the talents that they may have. If you assume you're not good at math, you avoid math, you don't try math, you don't work hard at math, um, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, in addition, where individuals are aware of stereotypes that reflect assumptions about their abilities in particular areas, and those stereotypes are activated in performance situations, that creates anxiety, and that anxiety can impede performance independent of actual ability or achievement levels. And this phenomenon, the impact, the negative impact of stereotype threat, um, has been studied for females in math performance, for 
uh, racial minorities in um, a number of different areas of academic performance. It's a real phenomenon and uh, can make accomplishment and make evidence of accomplishment um, more difficult.